that night was just... <laughs> we were at my house watching it and we had our emails open and it was like the amount of sign-ups, like the Gmail couldn't even we keep up. It was videoed like, it, yeah, remember? Yeah. And we just saw like... It was like... It was like jackpot. Yeah, it was amazing. I think our business grew by 300% overnight. Hey, welcome to Ladyland, a podcast by Lady Brains, where we chat to ambitious women about what it takes to become an overnight success. Huge spoiler alert, the overnight success does not exist. We're your hosts, Caitlin, Anna, and Neva. Now get comfy, fellow Lady Brains, and ride with us to Ladyland. Back in 2014, peer-to-peer platforms were on the rise. We were all renting our houses out on Airbnb and jumping in strangers' cars for a ride home. Well, this was happening across various sectors, at the time Lauren Silvers and Lisa Marie recognised that in beauty, there was a gap. No tech platform existed to allow people to book beauty services on demand, so they started formulating an idea, seeking funding and building a business separately. Yes, the two originally started out as competitors. Lisa was creating a booking app for beauty freelancers, while Lauren was doing the same but with a focus on salons. It wasn't until an investor introduced them that they decided to join forces and build Glamazon, the Uber of beauty, which allows customers to book stylists on demand directly to their homes. Since its launch in December 2016, Lauren and Lisa have appeared on Shark Tank, secured over half a million dollars in funding, are dominating the Australian on-demand beauty market and are already looking at international expansion. You'll hear all of this and more, but first, we ask the girls about who has helped to shape them as entrepreneurs. We were both born with it. I think both of our family have that in the blood. My dad's always been like a serial entrepreneur. He's never made it big with anything, but he's just been (laughs) (laughs) trying (laughs) one after the other. And he lives a very happy life doing his own thing. Um, So I've I've been around that all of my life. And I honestly, even now, I couldn't imagine ever working for someone else. You just have so Mm. much freedom, but you have a lot more responsibility. I think we just live and breathe it. It's definitely. just innate in us. It's innate. That's yeah. definitely it. But I think similar to Lisa, grew up with um, family members who are entrepreneurs. My grandfather in particular like escaped the war. He, he was a Holocaust survivor and came to Australia with absolutely nothing after hiding for eight years with my grandmother. And then, you know, he came to Australia with nothing and built up the most amazing business. Mm. He sold it at a time where he had 75 people working underneath him. And so he's just always inspired me. And I think growing up, knowing that you can be whoever you want, do whatever you want and overcome any kind of adversity to get where you want, you grow up knowing that, okay, I can do that. I was never brought up in a household where it's like, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer. It's like, do whatever makes you happy and you can do whatever makes you happy. Just give it a go. So tell us, where does your story start as a team? Because it wasn't always that way. I started Glamazon when I was 23, so it was 2013, and it was a way for me to overcome my frustrations in booking salon appointments uh, because I was working in PR and I was running around to a certain event. So I set out to build a salon booking app, but three years went by, or just under three years went by, and I realized that there was this move or this shift towards peer-to-peer services. I would have never dreamed of renting out my private home. Mm. And now Airbnb is just, you know, such a thing. And even we get into strangers' cars with Uber. So that was becoming more prominent. 
and not wanting to start from scratch, I sort of started to look to other players in the market who were already doing it as a faster route to get there. And I met up with a couple of other, uh, I guess, competitors to what Lisa was doing at the time. But then I guess I'll leave Lisa to say how we actually met. Yeah, so I have another business. Um, it's based in Los Angeles and I've been doing that for 10 years now, which makes me sound old. So I was living um, in America for... I mean, I was overseas for about five years and at the time where I was living overseas, I saw an emerging trend in the market for at-home beauty services. So that was something that was really prevalent in America. I ended up moving back to Australia around that time and I saw that there was nothing here. There was a big gap. So I started what I called at the time was Glam Crew. So it's funny because Glam is on Glam Crew. So close. And we didn't know each other. I didn't know of you. You Mm -hmm. didn't know of me. It was we were completely separate and I think that was mid-2016 and a couple of months after I started the business I was introduced to an investor just by chance it wasn't something that I'd like I was really seeking out it was like a casual meeting and I spoke to him about what I was doing he really loved the idea and he said I want to do something with this I just don't know what it is and just leave it with me and um, I'll get back to you and he sort of left the meeting and I was like oh that's interesting and I hadn't considered um, investment before because my other business I'd bootstrapped and it was hard it was really hard Mm. so this opportunity when it came up I thought might be a, a good chance for me to fast speed my business along and and get to where I want to be a lot quicker. At that time, he'd gone away and done his due diligence on me and introduced me to Lauren. And in between all of that, he'd contacted you. Yeah, he's just, I got a random call one day and it was a voicemail because I'd missed the call. He said, hi, my name's Baba. Um, I'd like to talk to you about your business, like call me back. Um, and he said his name, so I Googled him and I was like, oh, investor, that's interesting. <laughs> I called him, we had this like 45-minute chat and he wouldn't tell me the name of the company that had originally contacted him, but he's like, I know someone and it sounds like you two are so complimentary, you guys just need to meet, like I'm going to be a matchmaker. He Googled. just did his due diligence yeah. on Glam Crew and on like the what else was happening in Australia in the market and found Glamazon and just called me out of the blue, just cold called me. Yeah, and so he came back to me at that point and he said look I found this business it's called Glamazon I want you two to merge if you merge I'll invest in you that's basically what he that said wow. verbatim so he um, connected us and mm-hmm. we met um, we belong to the same business club so we mm-hmm. met in the business club we'd never met each other but we belong to the same club we live a couple of streets from each mm-hmm. other we introduced ourselves we had a chat we had a lot in common and the same views and I think we're we're both kind of spiritual we both mm-hmm. believe in things happening for a reason and um, we walked away from that meeting met one week later for a coffee and shook our hands on a mm-hmm. deal like it was like so easy we say that the stars were aligned because it just felt like one of those moments I had always wanted a co-founder but never wanted to force it I wanted it to happen organically and I was like when is this going to happen and someone said to me once when it's right if it is right and it's supposed to happen you'll just meet someone who you'll be able to connect with and it was Mm. really like that for both of us it was very mutual so it's kind of like you know, dating in a way. And yeah, like, you know, yeah. modern day matchmaker. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he calls himself the matchmaker. Yeah. yeah, the thumbs on matchmaker. Yeah. I'm really curious about the logistics of this. How did you kind of merge the two together? 
Not officially for ages. No. <laughs> we just started like sharing everything about each other's businesses and not officially doing anything but just working together. Which is not recommended, FYI. Yeah, but as in that's how much faith and trust yes, we, we had, had in each other from the get-go. We just did it mm. because legalities, I guess, take a while. And then Shark Tank happened within so, – yeah, tell the story. The so Shark Tank story is funny because we – I think we'd met in August, August of 2016. So of August, yeah. yeah, and we hadn't officially merged. I think the paperwork went through in November or December. Mm-hmm. So there was a good few months there that we were working together and not officially merged. And I'd applied for Shark Tank for my business way before I met Lauren and she'd applied for Shark Tank for her business way before she met me. And then when we'd merged – we both got the news that we were, you know, approved for Shark Tank. but no, for the next level, oh, the, the next, next level, yeah. yeah. And we were both nervous about telling the other that we're on Shark Tank separately. Yeah. I felt so, a bit embarrassed It was embarrassing. Yeah. Why? Yeah. I don't know because it's like it really shows something about your personality to apply to go on a reality yeah. TV show <laughs> about your business. Yeah. It's kind of like saying, oh, I've applied for The Bachelor and gotten in. Like you're kind of – embarrassed to tell a friend or I don't know but we got the letter at the same day and then it, you, did you tell I think me I told yeah. you and then you're like me too <laughs> I was gonna tell you <laughs> yeah. that's another weird coincidence right? it's I highly mean, like, likely true. yeah wow yeah I, so then we just contacted channel 10 um network 10 and Shine and said um can we just go on together we're now one company they're like this has never, never happened, happened before yeah. But yeah of course and so what was that moment like when you found out you were going on the show scary yeah yeah Yeah, we had to go through a few audition processes as you can imagine and when we finally made it through to the late stages it's like oh my god we're doing Doing this this. like we're going to be on tv we had to practice everything like from the we rehearsed the we we would quiz each other on our data Mm -hmm. and our metrics but Mm -hmm. there's so much pressure I think because you're Mm -hmm. representing your business in a public Mm -hmm. forum you're in the lounge room of millions of people Australia wide and you don't want to stuff it up like it was tense and it's all up to how it gets edited as well and you're basically you have to sign something that says you know that however it goes on tv or however you do that's just how it is there's no backing out kind of thing and they're very diligent they do psychology tests to make Mm -hmm. sure you're mentally fit like what if it goes badly Mm -hmm. or what if you don't get money how you handle that so they're very very good like that and they were amazing um, network to work with Mm -hmm. uh, just something that neither Lisa nor I had ever done before so it was just new territory and every single step of the way was nerve-wracking I'd say (laughs) (laughs) so you guys performed really really well on Shark Tank can you tell us a little bit about your pitch it was just a two-hour business chat really you talk about everything what's your customer acquisition cost what's your lifetime value what's your churn rate what's your burn rate they ask you everything of course they don't air all of that because yeah. Yeah. the general public of australia would be really you know it's not entertaining this <laughs> yeah. is gonna take a while but yeah. they do their you know they they really go into it and then of course after two hours it's all i know for me it was all a blur so mm-hmm. you don't even know what they're gonna edit in or edit out mm-hmm. but i think for us the reason why maybe we did so well is because we did practice. We knew our numbers really, really well. Mm. That's the most important thing is to just be proud. I think you go into Shark Tank or getting investment at a time when you're already seeing growth and you're ready for that growth to be accelerated. That's probably the most important thing. I think people seek investment too early without demonstrating that they can execute or pull anything off. So, yeah. 
the most important piece of advice that I could give would be just to know your numbers, like you said, because I think that's why we did so well. And they were so surprised that we knew every single metric Mm. and every single question they asked, we answered. And I think that's why we got such a, you know, it, how would you say? Yeah, it was a good response from Mm. the judges. Yeah. But why do you think they were surprised that you knew the business inside out? Probably because we're two girls from Bondi, as um, Steve said. Of course you are. Of course you're from Bondi. (laughs) And in that way, I think that's where Lisa and I like to use, um, you know, being feminine and being females in this space to our advantage. Mm -hmm. It's unique. It's, I think we make up something ridiculous, like less than 10% of the eco startup ecosystem is female founded. So I think that, yeah, we are rare. And yeah, perhaps the reason why we shocked them was because they're not used to seeing two females, especially mm. from Bondi, as yeah. stereotypical as it mm. is, who knows all the numbers like the men that they've probably seen before mm. um, who do as well. So mm. yeah, we like proving them wrong. So after you made your pitch, what happened? Did you receive an offer and did you accept that offer? We did on the show. We did accept the offer. Um, what you don't see is that after that show, there's, I think it's 16 weeks of due diligence. So there's a period after the show that you have to go through and both parties have an opportunity to proceed or not. And that's the time where the shark will look into the business, look at the metrics and make sure everything stacks up to a, and is equal to what you said on the show, basically. Mm. We basically... Decided, decided not, not to, to go, go through ahead. that process because we'd received investment outside the show. So we went with the investors we'd received outside the show. And, and we still have a good relationship. Was that your original one? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That we were talking about before. Yeah. And we'd also received somewhat of a – we hadn't signed any term sheets, but we sort of knew we were raising yeah. more, more at a better valuation. And we offered Steve the same valuation as them. We said we'd be more than happy for you to come on mm. board, but we can't down round mm. our investors mm. And we still have a really good relationship with Steve as well. So it's not something that soured the relationship. No. And what was that conversation like turning away such a big lump sum of money? It was over email, luckily, because after the show, you know, you deal with their assistants and their team. So we didn't have to say it to Steve direct, although we did pass Mm. on a message to him just to, (laughs) you know, say thank you. We were so appreciative of his support. Um, it did make it a little easier in that way. Yeah, but it's hard to say no to money. So, I mean, it, yeah. it was two, it's quarter of a million dollars that we were offered and it's very difficult when you're, you have a young business and it's in need of funding to turn around and say, no, we don't want your money. But I think you have to look at it from an, like a high-level business perspective when we made the decision, you know, in the interest of the business. Yeah. Mm. So what was the effect of that Shark Tank episode airing on your business? It was incredible. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. Like that night was just, (laughs) we were at my house watching it and we had our emails open and it was like the amount of sign-ups, like the Gmail couldn't even keep up. We videoed it, remember? And we just saw like, it was like jackpot. Yeah. Yeah, it was amazing. I think our business grew by 300% overnight and it was just, it's and then a it was flow on effect, like yeah, for the next revenue growth month on month, month after yeah. that. It was constant. I mean, it all sounds fine and dandy, but I, you know, it, the purpose of this is to be real and, and to be honest, I think with extreme growth 
comes more problems because Mm -hmm. it was hard for us as the small team that we were to handle that growth because you have so many more customers and they have so many more stylists applying. How do you screen and onboard the stylists at the same rate that the customers want to book? And, you know, then you're recruiting and then you're taking time interviewing people. And so it is challenging to grow that quickly. It was a huge blessing and I'm so grateful. We're both so grateful for it. But, yeah, with huge growth comes... Teething problems. Teething problems. So <laughs> now we've sort of stabilised, which has been great. So how do you go about dealing with those teething problems and any negative feedback or reviews from customers? It's very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> I think we laugh about it now, but yeah. at first it's sort of just you go, <gasps> like you, it feels like someone's hit you in the stomach. And, um, yeah, it just takes a strong mind and a strong will and you say, all right, this is feedback that I'm going to take on board and we're going to improve the product and show these people that we can actually do something incredibly well and it was just a small glitch along the road. I it's kind of like what Richard Branson says, like most of the time being an entrepreneur is just surviving and it <laughs> is just building up that resilience. But at the same time, Lisa and I, we always say we don't care if we're right. We don't need to be right. We just want to win. And they were right. All of these customers were right. Maybe that's why it hurt the most. Like the app was crashing. The website was down. (laughs) Mm. And so we weren't getting mad at those customers. It is a punch in the stomach because you just want to be doing better. But at the end of the day, for us to win, we just have to correct everything. And so it was about, you know, taking the time to respond to every single comment and every review, just say, we're doing our best. You know, we weren't expecting this overwhelming response. You know, please keep checking back in. We appreciate your support and that kind of stuff. And just really like you were up one day till four in the morning or something. (laughs) We were responding to emails. I remember because when the website crashed we had so many people writing an email saying I'm trying to book the website's crashed this doesn't work and they were just coming in like Lauren said so there was thousands and it took us about a week I think to reply to all the emails and I'm so sorry it's up now and yeah it was a it was a long week yeah but you just have to do that like they're the customers are the most important thing Mm. and we never lose sight of that and when a customer gives us feedback whether it punches us in the stomach or not, they are right. The customer is right. So we just have to do whatever we can do in our power to make sure we win. I love that. And I love that you're also hands-on. I know we may have been overhearing before, but I love that you're also talking to customers and you're getting feedback. And like that is so important because that makes the business, doesn't it? Totally. Yeah. And we're in between customer yeah. service girls at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> but, but either way, I love You do. Yeah. But you have to we wear do. hats, right? Either way, I love being in customer service because yeah. there is no better way to understand mm. your customer. Even after the data and analytics that you're mm. collecting, all of that stuff, you can't understand them until you talk to them. And even just speaking to that customer just before, It was so eye-opening just having that conversation. And I bet you because I called her, she's going to be an advocate of Glamazon, not because of like she didn't have a great experience, which we dealt with. And Mm -hmm. it's very rare that it happens. But they need to know that we're here and they will speak to a person on the other end because we care. Mm -hmm. And that's one of our um, big metrics. So it's 98% plus customer satisfaction Mm -hmm. and that our customers will always speak to a human, never a robot or a, um, you know, one of those forms that you fill out. How do you deal with that kind of stuff as you scale, like, you know, not wanting to use chatbots to deal with customers? Just perfecting the process to limit, to reduce the amount of complaints. And we already have, or calls, we already have 
in the systems and processes over the last year that we've set up, mm. we've been able to make sure every, most services actually go really well because our onboarding is super strict. Like it's an audition in person. Mm. So we know the stylists in the end and we know their work. And just by really categorizing the stylist, like putting them in their proper tiers Mm -hmm. correctly so that when a customer selects a certain tier, they know the standard that they're getting. So it's setting the customer's expectations from the get-go and then also implementing like automated text messages when a stylist has accepted the booking and stuff like that. And and even when a customer makes an after-hours booking, it's like it says something, this text Our says, stylists are getting our, uh, their, their beauty, beauty sleep. sleep. Like they may not respond yeah. to, until tomorrow. Like your booking is open until 8 a.m. tomorrow morning to be accepted because as much as we'd love like at nighttime a quick response, our stylists are humans and we deal with humans. So I think it's in making the product so good, kind of like Uber. I guess what Uber focus on is a mm. seamless product mm. to reduce the complaints. But at the end of the day, they're dealing with a driver and a customer who are both humans. Mm. So they, there will always be a need for a manual intervention. Aside from allocating a large portion of your funding to the proprietary tech platform, how else are you spending the money? Mainly marketing. Yeah. So we have a, a marketing and tech split and that's kind of the bulk of it. And then of course wages. So yeah. we do have a team, I think about eight, eight, eight of us now. And so the wages are, you know, a bulk of that as well. Yeah. And how do you use social media? Social media for us isn't something we use to drive sales mm. per se. It is more about communicating our tone of voice, our messaging, who we are as a brand and a company, being able to showcase out the real work from our stylists um, and our customers and to just reflect our premium brand. So, yeah, it's just a way of doing that. And if that turns into sales, like that's fantastic. Mm. Um, we use it to genuinely reply to um, customers as well when they're commenting and um, sending us direct messages. So, yeah, for sure, it's just like a tool we use in that way. But it's important regardless because it's so immediate. So if we have a campaign or if we're offering a promo code, we can put that in our story and we can see an immediate return sometimes. So, well, we test around with that. I think the immediacy of it makes it really great for, you know, if the apps, I remember the website was down and we quickly put up on our Facebook and our Instagram, you know, we're so sorry. Um, it's down. Please check back in 30 minutes and that was really effective for us so we use it in that way yeah and it's good for brand awareness and Mm -hmm. like Lauren said the tone of voice we create we can put images there that we can't put anywhere else and I think people relate to social media these days more than anything else too definitely and we're such a visual company as well Mm -hmm. it's like how else can we showcase this amazing work that our stylists are doing in the homes of all of these Australian women. So it's a great tool in that way. And this day and age, everyone looks to social media for a brand's reputation as well. Mm-hmm. So I think if they look at a company and they have a thousand followers and they, mm-hmm. in their minds, they believe that they're a small company where they might in reality be a huge company. So it's become super important in this mm-hmm. day and age. And just to kind of touch on teamwork, how do you guys work together? I know, you know, you came together quite synergistically, but um, what's it like day to day? It's, it's actually like so much fun. <laughs> yeah, like, working with my best friend. Yeah. We do have our moments. Like I think sometimes yeah. when there's a decision to be made and we're on opposing sides, we have our moments. Mm. <laughs> but I think we're both the type of people to go, all right, let's try this. And if it doesn't work, we'll do the other way. Like neither of us, as I said, we, we'd rather win than be right. So we're both the first to put up our hands and say, I was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like this is what we should have done. But 
Yeah, of course you have those heated discussions. I don't think we've ever had like a... We haven't ha- yelled at each other. No, but we've like had a big disagreement. <laughs> no, <fights>? no. <laughs> no. No, but we do have like heated discussions at times and... Yeah. I think that's normal and I think it's good to have different opinions too because Mm -hmm. if we were the same person with the same opinions, what value would one of us be bringing to the company? Nothing. Like we'd have, it'd just be one of us. But I think it's really important for us to have different opinions and bring different things to the table and have those discussions at times. For sure. (laughs) And I always think friction is a really good thing because you always get to the next step through friction. If you just are the same, if you're stagnant, then you'll just drift. Friction really keeps you moving. So that's really great. But it's been a blessing working yeah, together. But I we, think. you know, we go out together, we go have lunch together. Yeah. I'm, I mean, it's, yeah, it's been really nice. It's been really nice. And also we have different strengths, so that helps yeah. as well. Like it lets us focus on our different strengths and then we both add that to the company. So yeah. I'm not about to question anything to do with finances or ops <laughs> or things that Lisa's so good at because I'm like 99%, 99.9% of the time she's 100% right. <laughs> but then again, like with a customer, as before, uh, we had this customer um, complaint and I was like, Lossie, fine. she's so good and so nice and lovely and I just know that that's what she's good at so mm. I leave it to her. So, yeah, we have our strengths and, yeah. and our weaknesses and we play to our strengths. Okay, so obviously Glamazon has had a really positive upward trajectory um, and has been really successful since you've launched, but I think it's kind of important to acknowledge some of the challenges um, and failures as well. So has there been a moment in your journey where something has really, really gone wrong? Yeah, I would say in terms of hiring our in-house team, we were offshoring. That was really challenging because it was genuinely affecting our customers who we care about (laughs) so much. So that's where you go, oh, we made the wrong decision in doing that. Um, but then we correct it. Like you just, everything's learning. Mm-hmm. Before Lisa's time, I was contacted by someone who had opposite skill sets to me, mm-hmm. wanted to come on board, was just so interested in Glamazon, had built um, his own um, business and marketplace as well, had over 4 million Instagram followers across wow. his all of his channels. Um, his biggest one was like 2 million um, Instagram followers. Someone who I thought could bring a lot to the business gave me investment as well like 50k it was like this is how into it I am like let's do this and in the end he turned out to be a criminal funnily enough and I'm not going to name names a similar business in the the Australian startup world had the exact same guy do the exact same thing to them a few months before so we we bonded over that and then after me, I saw him doing it to someone else and I w- warned them because I could see who he was contacting. And yeah, that was probably, I'd say that was a huge failure on my behalf. And it taught me a lot about who to trust and, mm. and you know, not to just say yes to any bit of money that was thrown my way or, or any someone wanting to help so badly. It's like, I should have questioned. And the funny thing is my gut was like, oh, something's not right. But at the time I felt so... I guess I was at a low point and you do go through highs and lows on this entrepreneurial roller coaster. Mm. And I had hit a low point of like, I was stagnating a little bit. I hadn't had new customers. I was just having repeat customers, which is lovely, but this was going to breathe fresh new life into the business. So I thought, but I should have questioned my gut instinct because it was sort of screaming at me going, this something just doesn't feel right. But yeah, I've learned a lot mm. from that. 
And I look back now and I think, God, I wasted so much money. Like I think you get advice from a lot of people and when you're young and eager, you want to follow everyone's advice and it was the biggest mistake ever. I I can count the number of times I did that and pretty much every time it was the wrong thing. So uh, my lessons I learned with that was just to follow what I knew was right and my gut instinct and stop, you know, trying to take everyone's advice on board because everyone doesn't know your business like you know your business. So, yeah, that was a massive lesson for me. And I still cringe now thinking back at all the times I, you know, spent money on something and was sure that it was going to work yeah. and it was going to do this and do that. And then it didn't. Um, me too. And there was times in that business where I remember there was a time where I had $5 in the bank account and I had staff and I didn't know what I was going to do. And, you know, I wasn't getting paid m- myself. And yeah, it was gut wrenching. And I didn't know what I was going to do at that time. And finally, something came through and I got myself out of that situation, but it was hard and I learned a lot of valuable lessons. And so we just want to round out with some final questions. What makes you happy? My dog makes me so happy. <laughs> so when you said that, she just popped into my head. She, like I look at her and she just warms my insides. She's, <laughs> I really, she's my happiness every day and she's been snoring through the interview. So. <laughs> I hope you haven't heard that. (laughs) Um, My family makes me happy. Um, My boyfriend, my friends, but I'm a very family girl. I've got um, a twin sister who I'm extremely close with. So whenever I'm around her, she just brings out the kid in me, which I really like because we live quite a serious life day to day, like making big decisions, um, dealing with the multitude of challenges that come up in startup life so I think she just brings me back down to earth every day and yeah that makes me happy and who inspires you I don't know I don't have a particular person that inspires me but I like to surround myself with people that I aspire to be like Mm -hmm. so I wouldn't say there's a particular person in my life but I a lot of the people that are close to me are investors or entrepreneurs or people that have been really successful in their lives in a multitude of ways and I like to be around that and um, yeah I think that's the way I live my life. Mm -hmm. And lastly what's next for you guys and for Glamazon? I think we're looking globally at the moment. So for us, we like to say world domination, but it's not world domination. It's like maybe APAC region domination. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, 33% of all revenue for beauty services is spent in the APAC region. So I think it's a pretty good, good yeah. market to hit. Yeah, it's a good target for us. And we're also looking outside um, beauty services. We're We want to build and grow this business, so we're looking at all of our opportunities, but we do have, like, in our near sites, um, looking over to Asia right now. Mm. And here's what the girls had to say about overnight successes. It's that whole fallacy about overnight success as well. Like, Glamazon has been going for so long, (laughs) and um, it just does take that long to get it going and for people to trust you. And Next thing you know, it's 10 years later down the track. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Instagram, lady.brains, and head over to ladybrains.com.au to find out more about our events and other cool things that are happening.